This is Woman on Top, and I'm Haley Rice. Today, joining me is Ashmi Pancholi, the Vice President of Global Commercial Strategy and Operations at GE Healthcare Digital. Welcome, Ashmi. Hey, Haley. Thank you. Super excited to be on. I'm super excited to have you. So um, for the members of our audience listening, Ashmi and I have been friends a long time, um, and I've been a huge fan of her career. She's out um, with GE achieving crazy awesome things, um, traveling all over the world, and really just being at the front of leadership and the organization. So I'm really excited to talk to you today, Ashmi, about everything and anything you're willing to say. Oh, of course. That's way, That's such a kind introduction. I really appreciate that. So talk to me a little bit about your role at GE and what it is that you're doing there. Yeah, it's, um, it's a great question. I actually get it often, both inside of GE and certainly outside of GE, because the title is a bit vague. But the way I describe it in the simplest terms is what my team and I do is we really help our commercial teams. So our salespeople and our teams that spend time with our customers, either servicing our equipment or software or installing our equipment or software, we help them do their jobs better. We help them sell bigger deals faster and ultimately delight the customer. Um, At the end of the day, in any business where you're selling something, it's really about two things, the customers first, and it's about making sure that we're delighting them and giving them products and services that are useful for them, that they can generate value out of, that can deliver the outcomes that they're looking for. Um, And then obviously to stay in business, we've got to continue to grow the business. And that's where this whole kind of notion around selling, selling bigger deals faster comes, comes in. And and we do that in a variety of different ways. Um, So I spend a lot of my time thinking about, digital transformation inside the company. So what kind of tools and data and analytics um, and technology stacks can we create to enable that whole commercial engine to delight our customers and and, and make our business extremely profitable and and growing quickly. Um, And there's in this kind of day and age, there's a whole variety of tools and applications and all sorts of things that you could potentially bring into your sales process, um, which can be confusing. So we really try to narrow that down and try to really understand what our sales motion looks like and how do we pick the tools and analytics and programs in an appropriate way to make our successful. Um, We also do a lot of strategy work. So, you know, in, in this environment, I think you can probably relate to relate to it as well. We talk about the term VUCA a lot, right? Everything is really volatile, uncertain, ambiguous, and complex, and it's only getting more so. And so in those types of environments, it's really important for us to be nimble and agile, and that absolutely relates to our strategy. So where are we going to sell? What are we going to sell? How are we going to sell? How are we going to organize our teams? Um, So we do a lot of that type of work as well, and it manifests itself in, in different ways. So hopefully that that helps give you a little insight into what I think about uh, day in and day out. Absolutely. So from a a sales and marketing standpoint, anybody that's in that area or anyone that's trying to sell or market a service or a product, what do you think is sort of the area that's not getting enough attention right now or the technique or the strategy where people could be really adding to their sales process um, where they may be falling short? Yeah, it's a really great question. I think... um, it's a couple things. I think there's always room to go back to being customer centric. And, and we say that word a lot and 
people think it might mean spending more time with our customers, talking to them more, but it's got to be deeper than that. You have to really understand the daily life of your customer. What do they see, feel, hear? What are their challenges? And ultimately, what is their strategy? Not just tomorrow or next year, but two to five years out. And how can you start to create a partnership where you're really not talking about selling and you're not talking about, hey, I need you to sign this PO or sign this order this quarter, but you're really talking about how it can become a mutually beneficial partnership. And that's a mindset shift. Um, it's starting to happen. Um, I think startups, um, especially in the software space that are a little bit more nimble, they tend to get this faster, um, but it's still a long ways away from happening in a lot of our traditional businesses, certainly in some of our big companies like the company I work for. Um, we're still very much early in that, in that transformation. That makes sense. And, um, you know, I'm a millennial, you're a millennial. Do you think that that the importance of that has to do with the age of the millennial workforce in the economy now. You know, you hear a lot about how millennials are about working together and happiness and sort of these concepts of the greater good. Do you think that that's something that's having an influence on that or or what's your take on where that comes from? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I never, I don't think I've actually thought about it um, super deeply, but here's what I'd say. I think it probably depends industry by industry. I think there's a lot of industries that haven't um, transformed as much from a workforce perspective as they as they will, by the way. It's going to happen to every industry. They're just on different timelines, right? So if I think about healthcare, I think it's just starting to get there, whereas other industries maybe have already flipped. And when you look at industries like manufacturing, they're maybe lagging behind. Um, but I think... The millennial piece is there for sure because there's people who are making decisions now and in positions to make decisions about services and strategy and products that weren't there five, ten years ago. And the way they buy and the way they evaluate what they buy and the way they want to transact and work with a company is very different. And it kind of goes back to your point about, you know, wanting to be more communal, wanting to have more of a partnership and not it just being this transactional relationship. Um, I think that's definitely manifesting itself um, throughout a bunch of different industries. I think the other piece of it also is just that super ambiguous, challenging, complex, changing environment. Almost every business, regardless of what industry you're in, um, regardless of where you are in the world, they're challenged, right? Margins are getting smaller. Um, there's more competition. Um, if you think about retail or even things outside of retail, people are starting up different companies and providing different technologies and services that are disrupting your industry faster than they ever were before. So I think just as a whole, decision-making and investment strategy has become somewhat a little bit more conservative in the way that Um, I think customers are less likely to put all their eggs in one basket. They're more likely to think about long-term value versus short-term kind of transactional, transactional value. And they're really looking for a partnership because they don't always know where they're going either. That's one thing that I encounter quite a bit with customers that I talk to. They actually want to have that conversation around, well, Hey, like, what do you think I should be doing? What do other customers of yours um, what do they do and what can I learn learn from them? 
um, and can you help me? Um, and so they really want to have that more of a partnership type discussion versus, hey, here's this thing I have. You should buy it. I'll see you again in five years or two years <laughs> or whatever it might be. I think that's really great advice. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit. So obviously GE is a really big company and it's no secret that it's been going through a lot of different kind of changes and shifts over the last few years. Um, To the extent you can talk to me a little bit about what it's like to be there and how it's been and what you've seen and some of those challenges that you've experienced. Oh, that is like the nicest way anyone has ever asked asked it, by the way. I'm an attorney. I like to decorate words a little bit. Perfectly. I'm going to steal it um, and, 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 and give a consider to others. You know, maybe consider phrasing it this way. Um, <laughs> it's been an interesting time. So when I, I'll be very honest, with you, it's, it's been challenging. I think for me personally, in my leadership journey, it's been the number one thing, um, if not in the top three things I've learned over my career, just at GE. Um, I joined the company like probably months, literally months before all of this change started occurring, right? We started talking about selling off and disposing of huge parts of our business um, in GE Capital. We had a bunch of leadership changes, businesses were changing, um, and it was really challenging um, at first to navigate that change because every time there's a change, there's always this uncertainty, certainly at a personal level around, hey, okay, what does that mean for my job and my team and what I'm here to do? Is there going to be an opportunity for me um, in a month? And is that something, even if there is, is it something that's aligned to what I want to do? That's always stressful. But then just in the day-to-day, it's really stressful and challenging because as I've started to grow my teams, it's challenging for the people on the street and for the teams because they're they're tasked with their day-to-day jobs and they're starting to wonder, well, if, is what I'm working on even relevant to the company now that we've announced this sale or this big thing? And then, and then more realistically in the field, when we're talking to customers, it actually has had an impact on probably just our ability to sell as quickly as we want to, because there are customers, they read the news, they see the headlines and they're asking, well, huh, do I want to partner with you or is that a risky move? And so we've always got to be continually having that dialogue around what's going on, why we're still relevant, how we're getting out of it, what the strategy is. And then for me personally, as a leader, I've got to continue to keep the focus and keep transparency to the extent that I can um, on what's happening um, so that the folks on my team feel engaged and still empowered to have an impact in the business. But it's challenging. I'd say it's not for everybody. Um, and, I'd, and I'd say I've had great friends and great employees come and go in my career um, at GE through some of these changes. And I think that's okay. I think that's the other thing I've learned. Like, it's okay. It's not for everyone. And it might be for you for an X period of time. But there's always, there might be a point where it's like, it's enough because of other things going on in your life. Maybe your priorities have changed or maybe you've said, hey, I'm, I'm kind of done with this. I've had the impact that I can have. I don't see a future for me here. I'm stepping away. And, and that's not a failure. It's, it's, it's okay. It's just the natural cycle of business. And I think it's happening faster and faster than it ever has before, right? We no longer have people who stick 
stick with it for, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, that's becoming more and more of a rare occurrence. And so some of those learnings have been difficult, but, but really important for me personally. They've helped me manage a lot of this change. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, too. I mean, at the time that you came into GE, you're in your 20s. Um, you were in an, a leadership role pretty much from day one. And, you know, as I understand it, you had some responsibility for managing people that were older than you, um, that came from different backgrounds and places than you. Um, talk to me a little bit about establishing your credibility. It, it seems to me almost like you're put in a place where you have to choose a little bit um, between carrying the corporate line and towing that um, and doing the things that you need to do, but also sort of establishing credibility with the people that work with you and for you. And it must have been a very hard thing to juggle at that early stage in your career. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, that was, that's probably been, it's a great, it's a great question. That's one that was, I don't know that I fully even learned yet. Like I don't have a good answer yet. I'm still trying to figure We'll take it your out. bad I'm answer. Still, that's fine. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still in that position today. And I can tell you, it's probably one of the most difficult things, um, in management and in leading people ever, right? You're put into a position to lead people who may, you know, they're going through all this immense change, so they're already stressed out, right? And then they're, so in their minds, they're thinking, well, oh man, this is just the flavor of the day. And he or she's going to be gone in a few months anyways, or our business is going to be very different in a few months anyways. Um, and so you're always battling that. And then you don't always have the choice to hire the team that you want to hire, at least not right away. And so you've got to kind of work with the pieces that you have and try to really understand quickly um, at the individual level, what are their strengths? Why are they here? Do they still want to be here and how you can leverage them and they can be a part of the solution around what you're trying to build and drive in the organization. Um, so I've always tried to take it down to the one-on-one -on -one individual level um, as quickly as I can and I'll be very honest with you, there's, you're always going to have like a, a mix of people on the team. You're going to have a mix of people who are kind of top performers, who get it, who are awesome, who want to support you, who want to be helped. And then you're going to have some people who are laggards who are like going to say, I'm going to wait around and see if this sticks. I'm not so sure about you. And you've got to convince them more. Um, but what I've always found is I tend not to like go super out of my way to put a ton of effort into like begging or convincing that group. I, I just stick to what I, I just stick to being really clear about what my mission is, what I stand for as a leader, what our priorities are as a group and as a team. And, you know, some of those things include being really transparent, being straightforward, um, being collaborative, being kind of a servant leader. So being there to help, to help solve problems and being part of the solution versus throwing things over the fence and say, Hey, have it back to me and, a month, two weeks, whatever the time frame is. And so as long as they are clear about who I am and what our priorities are, I always find if they're in, they're going to come along for the ride. If they're not, they'll self-select out. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because um, I think sometimes with change, that positive attrition is really important to start building the culture that you want. And then the final thing I said, I, the thing I'll say on that is I've been really fortunate in that most of the times this has happened to me in my career, I've had really strong leadership above me and sponsorship above me supporting me um, in a variety of different ways, whether that's 
kind of offline one-on-one coaching to help me help me through that or even just sponsorship more vocally um, as a leader in meetings or in venues or teaming up and my team up for really important critical projects that helps build that credibility um, kind of in a different way. Um, and that's also been really helpful. Sure. I th- and so go ahead. Like the last thing I'll say is, so I always, one of the other things I've learned is I always try to make sure I understand who, who I'm working with and for before I take these opportunities. I think earlier on in my career, I, I wasn't so smart about that. And that's where you can kind of end up in situations where you're in these difficult places and you don't have the sponsorship or the support that you need to be successful. And, and like looking back, there's probably a role or two. I probably should have said, Hey, this isn't, it looks good on paper, but it's, it's not going to work out. If that makes sense. Absolutely. And, you know, I agree completely. I think sponsorship is one of those things that gets overlooked a lot when people are considering, you know, where they're going to work and who they're going to work with. Um, But I mean, cutting to the chase, you're a young brown woman at a company like GE that doesn't exactly have an image of being culturally diverse. Um, You know, when I think GE, I'm thinking older white men. And, you know, talk to me a little (laughs) bit about, Um, whether that's true and sort of your experience in finding sponsors um, in in that style. It's true. And it's actually really like, it's a topic really near and dear to me right now. Um, It's something I honestly think about like almost every single day, Haley, I swear to God. And I think about, oh, is this really the right place for me? Do they really embody the values that I embody? Because I've actually, I think I would argue you know, we've talked the talk for a while and then we've gotten into this really tough financial situation. And as a result of that, of course, the, the priorities of the business have been really focused on writing the ship as they should be. But I think we've dropped the ball um, on some of the other initiatives around diversity and all that. And, and I don't know that we ever even really made the progress that we said we were trying to make. And I could tell you in my daily life, um, in the business, it's, it's a struggle. There are very few female leaders. There are very few diverse leaders. And so I kind of always have this catch 22, like, oh man, is this the place I want to be? And then like, well, if I leave, who else is going to like, who's going to replace me or who else is going to come in? We're never going to change or make a change if people like me keep leaving or saying, Hey, to help the hell with it. Right. So like, I've just taken on being a lot more vocal about it with my leadership team, with my, with, um, with my team as well, um, demanding that we have diverse slates of candidates when we're hiring, demanding that we have a diverse interviewer panel when we're, when we're bringing people in for interviewers. And those are little things, right? But they slowly start to change the system. Um, and I've just been really fortunate um, to have really great sponsorship um, from males, uh, to be quite honest, and females um, at GE who've kind of taken me under their wing and helped me in these various roles build my confidence as a leader as well as build kind of my leadership story and kind of who I am as a leader and also build the credibility within the business and give me the opportunities that I've had. So I've been really fortunate. Um, it's still one that we don't have a good answer to and I'm still working on um, and I and I'm here and I continue to stay at GE because I think I can be a part of the solution. And I think 
as with anything, the day that that, that, that sentence is no longer true is probably not, um, is probably the day to start to reevaluate whether or not you're in the right place. I think that's really a great answer. And yeah, it, it's such a complex question, but I, I'm so proud that you are sticking in there and, and trying to do something about it um, for the greater good, because I think you're right. There's a certain point where, you know, women and women minorities and minorities and things like that, you know, there, there's this concept of becoming your own hero. And, you know, as much as we want the support of the companies, um, you know, thinking about the generation of people that are next to come and how we can positively influence their experiences. Absolutely. Do you, do you feel, do you see a lot of the same kind of challenges in the, in the legal profession lately? You know, I'm fortunate enough that I work in a small firm um, that has quite a few female employees now at this point. So um, my experience here is very different than some of my colleagues that are at larger sort of old school firms. But I think that I see a common thread of women um, of, you know, all sorts of different races and ethnicities um, saying, you know, hey, if if I'm not going to stay here and, and push for family friendly policies or for equal pay or for this and that, then who's going to do that right. for me? Um, so you, you got to kind of walk that line of advocating for the institution to take some action, but also advocating for to yourself to take the action that you wish that they would take. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'd say it's, <laughs> there's definitely probably easier routes to take. Um, for sure. But then it wouldn't be no fun, right? That would be no fun if it was easy. It's definitely (laughs) challenging. And there's days I want to pull my hair out because there's males I work with who talk over me and kind of project all of that behavior that we typically see in that dynamic. And so frustrating. But it's like, if I'm not there, then like it would potentially be even worse. And what's great is I've got great sponsors and and even colleagues, um, you know, horizontally to me that I can talk to about this and kind of make them aware because I think part of the problem is we don't have the dialogue right so like I try to force the issue and have the dialogue it sometimes makes people uncomfortable because they don't want to talk about it and they don't want to be called out or even have to stop and think about huh maybe I'm not being sensitive or maybe I'm not being inclusive and like all of that but it's really important um and so I kind of I've kind of gotten over that fear and I, and maybe I won't do it in a big setting, but I'll talk to people one-on-one and call them out and say, Hey, maybe you should have thought about the way you talk to this person or the way you projected yourself in this meeting. Um, or even the way you've, you've thought about hiring for your team. Um, Cause really at the end of the day, it's better for people and humanity for sure, but it's also better for business, right? Diversity is better for business period. If you have diverse viewpoints, people who come from different backgrounds, vantage points, educational paths and careers, your decision making is going to be richer and better and you're not going to have group think and you're going to be more competitive. Um, And so I think, you know, if you, I think one day somebody's going to write or many people are going to write many case studies about the General Electric company and they're going to dig deep on kind of all some of the stuff that's that's gone on and how, how it, how it led us to where we are today. And, and I've got to believe one of those things and GE is not the only company, by the way, where this is true. But one of the things is a lack of diversity. There was other companies out there that changed this faster or new companies that started with a different mindset that were able to move quicker, faster and are more competitive because of it. And so if we don't change it, it's, 
in my opinion, a do or die type of situation, which might be a bit dramatic, but I truly believe that. No, I, I completely agree with that. And I think that there is already data to support it. Um, and it's only a matter of time before that compounds. Yeah. So we're running to the end of our time. Um, I want to close it out, though, because I'm just so interested to know um, at what at this point in your career, what it, one single piece of advice would you give to your 25 year old self coming out of business school heading into the career that you were, were about to have? Yeah, um, I think there's two things I, I always say, and I, it has served me well in my career and in my life, and I still tell this to people every day. So I know you asked for one, but I'm going to give you two. Um, so there's like a little extra credit there. One <laughs> is um, lean into change. As difficult as it might be, as confusing and stressful as it might be, lean into it, right? There's opportunities and great opportunities that come out of change, always. Um, So give it a chance. Um, Don't ask a lot of questions. Just kind of jump in and and see how you can add value and and do something impactful because there's always an opportunity to do that when there's massive amounts of change. So that's one. And then the other one is really simple, um, but I think it's it's important. It's one of my mottos for my team and for myself is, done is better than perfect, right? We tend oh, I to love that one. try to make everything like perfect, perfect, perfect before we're reporting it out, before we're launching it, whatever it is. And certainly there's cases where perfection is important in terms of product launches, but for the most part, like just get things done, right? Like just, just try it, just try it, just do it. Don't think about it and do it knowing that you're going to have to iterate at least five to 10 times, if not more. And don't take those iterations personally. Um, right. Like that, those are kind of a couple of my mottos and mindsets that I always like to share, share with folks. And I try to, I, I remind myself of daily too. Well, Ashby, thank you so much for talking to me today. Um, It's been a real pleasure and I got a lot out of this one. Thanks, Haley. This was awesome.